Good morning and welcome to the very first edition of Orange County Catholic Radio. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be coming to you every Thursday at this time on AM 1000 from our studios here on the Christ Cathedral campus in Garden Grove. And we'll be talking about a wide variety of topics, current news, local events, matters of faith and worship, just about anything of interest to the Catholic faithful of the Diocese of Orange. I'm Patrick Mott. I'm the editor of Orange County Catholic, the weekly newspaper, and I'll be your host for Orange County Catholic Radio. Radio, which comes to you through a partnership between the Diocese of Orange and Immaculate Heart Radio. Right now, I have the pleasure to welcome to the studio Bishop Kevin Van of the Diocese of Orange and Doug Sherman, the president of Immaculate Heart Radio, who are both here to speak with us about this new partnership. I'd like to start with you, Doug, if you don't mind. Please tell us a little bit about how Immaculate Heart Radio came about and what its mission is. Boy, the seeds were planted, Pat, actually back in 1993 in World Youth Day in Denver when my family was there. We heard Pope John Paul say that uh, everyone needs to do something to bring Christ to the world. It's a, it's a longer story than that, but uh, it planted the seeds that we needed to do something. And uh, before too long, uh, the idea of starting one Catholic radio station was kind of started in our in our minds, and we wanted to start one station in Lake Tahoe where we live. We did that 18 years ago last week, and when it went on the air January 2nd of 1997, it was only the seventh Catholic radio station in the whole country, compared to over 1,500 Protestant stations. For some reason, there weren't any Catholic stations. So we started our one station, and we thought we were finished with that. But the stories started coming in of, of lives being changed and dramatic, dramatic stories of people growing in their faith and their relationship with God. So we started a second station in Sacramento for our bishop there. And now, uh, 18 years later, we have 33 stations and translators in six western states that reach a total population of about 50 million people. And uh, But this station here now reaching Orange County is probably one of the most exciting things that's happened to us in a very long time. It's just a wonderful place to, to have our signal here in Orange County. Well, that brings me to my next question. What's attractive about Orange County as a potential market? You're all over the West, but now here in Orange County. Well, there's two things, Pat. If you looked at our map uh, of stations, you would see that we really cover pretty much all of the population in those six western states, the major population centers, except the Los Angeles, Orange County area. It was like a glaring vacant spot on our map, and we just had to keep going until we were finally able to send our signal throughout Orange County. But the second reason is there's so many, as you know, there's so many good things going on in Orange County right now with the Diocese of Orange right here at this facility at, at Christ Cathedral, for one. But all of the programs and events and uh, my gosh, those are the things that our radio station can promote and, and help uh, kind of float all the boats in the harbor to a higher level, God willing. Well, Bishop Van, I know this is something that you've been looking forward to very much. What potential do you see here? Well, first of all, I, I want to thank Doug. Float the boats in the harbor. I guess that's a pretty pertinent image for here. Is that right? It is. <laughs> As I said downstairs, I've had a chance to be involved in a couple of the dioceses with Catholic Radio in my home diocese in Springfield, Illinois, just last year as they started a station. And I spent a lot of time with Guadalupe Radio uh, in Fort Worth, the Alice Fort Worth area. Entonces también es una posibilidad para hablar español de mis hermanos y hermanas aquí en esta diócesis. It's a way of communicating the gospel and the faith 
in a way that really is limitless. It's another use of the media to preach and live the gospel. So I'm I'm grateful to have this opportunity to have the station here. And and Doug and I had talked about this and corresponded, I think, in October 2012, even before it was officially installed. So it's a great opportunity. Well, we're going to be talking in a few minutes about uh, EWTN setting up shop here on campus as well. But I was going to throw this out to both of you. Would you agree that there's a kind of an intimacy about radio that can help illuminate the faith and the issues regarding the faith in a way that other forms of mass communication can't? Uh, does it have to do with the life of the imagination, uh, the fact that we have uh, both a communal and a personal sort of duality in the faith that radio can serve? Do you mean like the shadow of years ago on radio and all the images that would conjure up? <laughs> the shadow knows. <laughs> well, I think that's true, Pat. When I spent a lot of time here in the Southern California the last few years getting this station started and our new station in Los Angeles, and uh, when I'm on the freeway, I've noticed there's an awful lot of people there in their cars, and I kind of envision all of them listening to our Catholic radio station, potentially, you know, uh, but uh, it's just such a perfect time for people to tune in and, and think and listen and grow closer to God. I would say even historically in our country, you know, in the years before other mass media, radio was an intimate part of folks' home life, you know? That's right. Uh, you can think of, I used to hear my grandparents talk about FDR's fireside chats, you know, President Roosevelt's fireside chats. So it has that history linked with it, and we can bring our faith to that. And like you said, in the car, you know, your car, a lot of times, in a way, is an extension of one's home. So you're there in your, you're in your car, and I like to listen to FM music, frankly. Mm -hmm. But this is a chance, too, for me to listen to our programming here and other folks to have a way of contact with their faith and the Word of God. In sort of the privacy and the intimacy of, of, of their car uh, that you don't have other places, you know? What has succeeded uh, in other stations around the West, Doug? What what type of programming have you seen that has been the best received? Right. One of our most popular shows comes from San Diego. It's called Catholic Answers Live from that good group there called Catholic Answers. And it's an opportunity for people to call in and ask questions and learn more about their faith. The, the, the show has become so popular that now they restrict one day a week for non-Catholics only to call in and have questions answered, misconceptions they've had about the Catholic faith. The other, the other day a week might be for atheists only to call in and challenge the host to get their questions answered about, is there really a God? So it's a, that's one. Uh, another, uh, our new show with Patrick Madrid in the morning. An Orange County native, by the way. I think it's worthwhile saying. I give a shout out to him. Yes. Or uh, Patrick Madrid, Patrick yeah. Madrid, yes. And, and so he's on the air every morning now from 6 to 9 doing a wonderful job. And our new focus, Pat, is to try to reach the Catholics uh, who are no longer practicing their faith as much, uh, maybe not any more often than Christmas and Easter, and try to encourage them back. You know, there's a lot of answers and solutions that we can give and help people through life. That anticipates an, another question of mine. There is... Uh, not necessarily a danger in preaching to the choir when you're going for people that are faithful Catholics that attend Mass every Sunday, but how do you how do you bring those people in, do you think, that have been away from the church, that have uh, developed a certain uh, skepticism or a distance? 
Well, you've made a couple of good points there. I've heard that comment in the past many times, as you can imagine, preaching to the choir. But actually, you know, the choir needs encouragement, and even the choir needs to understand their faith even more deeply. There's no end to how much we can learn about the faith. But in terms of reaching others, reaching those who aren't practicing their faith quite as much, if we are talking about everyday issues, the important issues of the day, from a Catholic perspective, that's what we've started doing, and it's working very well, engaging people, faithful Catholics and non-practicing Catholics and others. It's, it's grabbing their attention and drawing them back. Doug, you can illuminate this, I think, but Bishop Van, what would you like to see this operation look like in, say, five years? We've got one show now, today, one show, tomorrow. What would you like to see? Am I supposed to illuminate that also? Of, of course. <laughs> you know, I... Um... I believe and I hope that that this first step we take today will grow. I don't know what that's going to be, but by the outreach we're going to be doing and the, the responses that we're going to get, I hope this is just the beginning step of expanding of this uh, to even beyond the here. Well, Doug Sherman, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today. I appreciate it very much. And for all your help in uh, getting Orange County Catholic Radio off the ground, uh, Bishop Van is going to stick around a bit and talk with us about yet another brand new communications venture for the diocese when we come back. County Catholic Radio is made possible by the generous support to the Orange Catholic Foundation, an independent not-for-profit organization raising funds to support the mission of the Catholic Church in the Diocese of Orange. To learn more about their vision, their mission, and about upcoming events, visit online www.orangecatholicfoundation.org. That's orangecatholicfoundation.org. We've been talking about radio, now let's talk about TV, specifically EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network. And uh, the Diocese of Orange and EWTN have struck a deal that will soon bring EWTN to the Christ Cathedral campus. And this will be the first West Coast presence for the network. On the phone, we have Mike Warsaw, who is going to tell us a little bit about the partnership. Tell us how it came about, Mike. Well, sure. Really, more than two years ago, I first began having conversations with a number of the folks who were involved in the acquisition and really the transformation of the of the cathedral property there. And uh, it became very clear, and, and particularly as, as time went on and those discussions went on, in talking with Bishop Van especially, that this the concept of the cathedral and, and the entire property really being a center of Catholic life and culture was something that really intrigued me. And, and I, I thought from those very early conversations that there was, there was definitely a role for EWTN in that mix and, and something that uh, I felt would be of great benefit to EWTN, uh, as well as something that 
uh, hopefully would benefit the diocese and the Catholic community there in, in Southern California. So we're very excited to be a part of that vision uh, for the cathedral complex and, and the cathedral itself. And, and we certainly look forward to being on site and being a part of the mix of the great things that are going on there in Orange. When do you expect to be up and running? Well, uh, the first phase of, of some of the installations has already occurred, and we hope that uh, perhaps by Easter or a little after, uh, we might have the facility up and running and ready to uh, begin producing content there. Let me throw this over to Bishop Van, who is uh, still with us here. Uh, Bishop, what does it mean to have the nation's leading Catholic television broadcaster here on the campus? This is something that years ago would have been uh, quite a stretch, I think, for the Diocese of Orange, and, and now it's here. I guess I would go back a number of years with kind of a few threads that have come together for me here. As I've said to a number of folks, uh, years and years ago, my grandmother would not miss two things. She would not miss As the World Turns in the afternoon, nor would she miss Life is Worth Living with Fulton Sheen in the evening, huh? Mm -hmm. So I had even early on uh, some idea that the faith, uh, we had kind of a role in television in that particular era. Uh, Years and years later, uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Del Hahn, who had gone to daily mass, he and his wife Peg at my parish in Illinois, they moved to Birmingham, Alabama to live in Alabama to open clinics for the rural poor. And so through that, I got to go down and visit EWTN Studios for the first time. And then, of course, my good friend, Father Benedict Groeschel, who has been a big help to me and so many others, had me on his program a couple of times. So through that medium, I had a sense, you know, what EWTN and Catholic Television could do in communicating the gospel in a very visible way to so many homes. So I hope that this is a beginning that we can uh, be able to do this here on the West Coast. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the life of the church is... Uh, uh, shifted in some ways to the Southwest and the West, and that's taking advantage of this in all our communities and in all of our faith communities, all of our reach here to make that really visible and known, and invite others to, to come and see me part of that. Mike, what are some of the faithful local EWTN viewers going to notice in the early going uh, now that you're going to have a presence here? Uh, are there going to be more West Coast-based news and features, possibly a uh, shift or expansion of coverage or better technical capabilities? Uh, is it something that they're they're going to be immediately aware of? Absolutely. I think uh, once the facility is operational, uh, certainly it gives us the opportunity to integrate people from there in in the diocese and the surrounding areas uh, into some of our existing shows, whether that be uh, segments that air as part of our nightly news program or the world over or perhaps some of our other programs. Having that studio capacity and the control room capacity there will give us uh, that ability to integrate uh, guests Uh, who otherwise couldn't travel either to Birmingham to our studios here or to Washington, D.C. to our studios there to appear on shows. People will see them being a part of those programs. As time goes on and as we uh, develop more of our infrastructure there, meaning uh, having more uh, staff on the ground and more presence there locally, uh, we'll begin to produce programming specifically uh, utilizing the capacities that are there. And we look forward to working with Bishop Van and the diocese to develop specific projects that can be produced uh, there on site. Ultimately, once the cathedral is uh, completed, we look forward to being able to integrate 
many of the liturgical celebrations, special events, uh, particularly events with many of the different communities that make up a part uh, of the Diocese of Orange. Uh, we look forward to integrating those uh, communities and those liturgical celebrations into our programming as well. And I think the thing we look to is uh, beyond just even the United States, um, EWTN transmits 11 different channels around the world uh, today to different parts uh, of the world. And so this is going to be a tremendous resource for us to be able to feed programming to literally uh, all parts of the globe originating from the facilities there uh, at the cathedral campus. So we're very excited about that opportunity. We're very excited about the opportunity to bring these events, bring uh, folks from there to our audience here in the United States, but also to our audiences throughout Latin America, through Europe, uh, the Pacific Rim, Canada, Africa, India, all of the places that EWTN transmits uh, our television services today. It's a great opportunity, and I think people will see that and note it very soon after we launch. Do you see that there is great visual recognition for this particular campus and particularly for uh, Christ Cathedral? During the time when the Schuler Ministries were operating here, it was a worldwide architectural icon, and uh, it will be again, and this time as a Catholic worship space. Do you see this as something that people will see and relate to very quickly and very easily, not just nationally but internationally? Absolutely. I think uh, we're very conscious of, and, and I think it's a, a very important part of, of uh, this project as we go forward, we're very conscious of that history and that legacy of, of Dr. Schuler's ministry and, and really, um, you know, just what an iconic uh, status the, the cathedral itself had uh, to so many viewers around the world during his uh, tenure. So we're conscious of that, but I, I think for us to be able to bring the Christ Cathedral as a Catholic uh, structure, as a Catholic cathedral, and all that will happen there as a center of Catholic life and culture, to be able to bring that to our audiences around the world, I think there's no doubt they will come to see it uh, as as the iconic place that it is and, and the iconic place that it will become within the Catholic community in the years ahead. So we're very excited about that opportunity as well. For uh, both you, Mike, and the bishop, the cathedral was originally built to be telegenic, uh, if that's the word. Uh, and now that it's going to be a Catholic worship space, and it's going to be a very characteristically Catholic worship space, are you still going to be able to achieve that level of, let's let's say, TV sort of intimacy that was achieved before without intruding on the service or the, uh, the dignity of the surroundings? The approach, I believe, I always like to remind myself and others, the approach to uh, our Catholic life and community and faith is always not either or, but it's both and. I've had the experience of being involved in what we call quote-unquote televised masses over the years, on a small scale, certainly, but I've seen a great intimacy with those, and I don't expect any difference on that big scale in the cathedral here. Bishop, thanks so much. And Mike Warsaw, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk to us. And Bishop, you're taking time out of your characteristically busy day. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the more striking visual changes that are happening here on the Christ Cathedral campus. Stay with us.
Faustina, Messenger of Divine Worship, comes to the Freed Theater on the Christ Cathedral campus, January 23rd, 24th, and 25th. This live multimedia drama performed by Maria Vargo and directed by Leonardo DeFilippis is an amazing look into the spiritual life and strength of faith of St. Faustina. For tickets and more information, visit www.ChristCathedralCalifornia.org. This is Orange County Catholic Radio, and we are back. When the Diocese of Orange acquired the former Crystal Cathedral and its surrounding campus more than two years ago, it became the recipient of a legacy that was begun and realized by the Reverend Robert Schuler. It has been the diocese's task in these last several months to honor that legacy while renovating and transforming the campus and its buildings into characteristically Catholic spaces. I'd like to welcome to the studio Rob Neal, a member of the Architecture and Renovations Committee for Christ Cathedral, and Father Christopher Smith, the rector of Christ Cathedral. And Rob, to start with, tell us a little bit about the renovation of the Arboretum. This is one of the first uh, projects that was taken on uh, after the acquisition of the property. This was Reverend Schuler's original drive-in church, and it's an iconic work of architecture. But like much of the campus, it was showing its age. What was done? How was it brought back? Well, first of all, Pat, let me tell you that it's a real pleasure to be on the show, and I thank you for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure. uh, It's always a pleasure to be with my dear friend. Father Christopher, the rector of the Christ Cathedral campus, and we'll talk about something that's very near and dear to me, which is the renovation of the campus. You know, the Catholic Church, when it acquired the property in 2012, early 2012, we had a pretty good understanding of what we were acquiring, but as we've gotten into it, we have discovered, really, that we've been the recipient of a remarkable blessing. Reverend Schuler over 40 years and with many, many helping hands and, and uh, the expenditure of, of a considerable amount of money has built what we believe to be one of the most remarkable pieces of uh, religious infrastructure, if I can use that term, in North America. And at the heart of it is, of course, the great Christ Cathedral, the Crystal Cathedral. But the first worship building was the Arboretum, and that was built in 1960. And it was the first building that was built on the campus, and it was uh, a direct result of Reverend Schuler's experiences with his uh, first ministry, which was in the Orange Drive-In, where he would stand on top of a uh, snack bar and he would preach. And so the uh, direction that he gave to Richard Neutra, who is a uh, one of the leading uh, practitioners of mid-century modern art, one of our greatest American architects, one of the directions he gave to him is that he wanted a, a church that could, of course, he could preach to the people inside the church, but he also wanted to be able to have a narrative or a dialogue with people outside, just like he had when he was preaching at the drive-in. And for a designer, an architect, you know, that's a really remarkable challenge. And so they came up with this fantastic building, the Arboretum. By the time we got to the campus 40 years later, it remained a uh, remarkable and splendid building, but it had had a significant amount of deferred, what we call deferred maintenance. And so we had to both ensure that it was seismically strong and would withstand uh, a large earthquake, which of course we're prone to have in Southern California, but also that we could air condition it because it was very hot. It's mostly glass. And so our priests who would show up with these big robes 
would just literally wilt before our eyes. Father Christopher, you know how that works. I can so testify we were, to that. We were given a direction, you must air condition this property. And uh, that was basically what we were going to do. And we proceeded well until we actually got into the building. And we discovered that the building was, in fact, uh, very badly deteriorated. And we just... Uh, simply kept expanding the scope of our of our renovation until we were really left with a dirt and steel. At one point, I got a call from our former bishop, Bishop Todd, very agitated. He asked me, Rob, why are you demolishing the arboretum? And I said, Bishop, I, I swear we're not, we're not, but it only looks that way. And it had gotten to that degree. Our challenge was is that we had to deliver the building within six months. And so even though the scope of our work had increased, uh, the time frame that we had to accomplish that was uh, remained in place. And so, as Father Christopher knows, he was by my side, or I was by his side the entire time. It was quite a scramble, right, Christopher? It was quite a scramble. We had a very small time frame within which we had to complete the building in time for the parish to move on the campus, because that is the building where the parish has Mass, and we needed to have the worship space available. And it's just really incredible that such a huge amount of work and quality work was done in such a short window of time. And a lot of that I would really attribute to Rob sticking to it with us and and really making sure that we were going to meet those deadlines that we had. Just a little anecdotal thing about the Arboretum being torn down. When the diocese first acquired the campus, I was the first person from the diocese who actually had an office here, the only one, for about a year. And so I was here during the whole renovation of the Arboretum on campus, and on the campus at the time were the congregation from the Crystal Cathedral Ministries and the pastors and all the rest of it. And as the Arboretum project progressed, they said to me, Father Christopher, why are you tearing down the Arboretum? <laughs> we didn't think you were going to do that. And the reason, of course, is because we really did take it down right to, to its uh, frame, if you will. And to see it now is, is a real joy. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I want to kind of leapfrog over the building we're sitting in right now, the Tower of Hope, which is also a, a Richard Neutra creation, which is has undergone uh, quite a renovation, and uh, it, it is has emerged just beautifully. But I want to get right into the Christ Cathedral itself. It's one of the most distinctive churches in the world. It's familiar to millions. But right now, it, if you walked inside, it is stripped to the walls. Father Christopher Smith is the cathedral's rector, and he's been intimately involved in planning its restoration. What is happening over there, and what's going to be happening over there in the next two years? Well, again, I want to tell you, Pat, how wonderful it is to be here with my dear friend Rob. I'm so happy to be able to offer some perspective on what we're doing here at the campus. I think I'll start at the end and then move to where we are now. The end will be what I mean by that is the opening and dedication of Christ Cathedral, which I hope will be in 2017, the first month or two of the year 2017. Great. And to get to that end, we have to be where we are now, which is we've completed the conceptual designs, and now we're into the construction plans and completing those, and the soft demo phase is beginning now. Mm -hmm. And once we complete that and we begin the major construction or renovation of the cathedral, I will offer what the perspective is from the worship space Rob will 
give some of the more details relative to the building because he's more an expert in that area. But I want to tell you that we will transform the space into a Catholic cathedral space that includes the altar as the center of the building, the bishop's chair called the cathedral, the ambo, which is where the word of God will be proclaimed, a baptistry area, confessionals, devotional chapels, a Eucharistic chapel where the Blessed Sacrament will be reserved, and religious art. All of these are essential parts of a Catholic cathedral. So by the time we get to 2017, we would all that needs to be in place, in addition to the reconstructed Rufati or Hazel Wright pipe organ, as we call it, which is also a major part of this renovation project. We've uh, had an opportunity to look at a few photos of parts of that organ that have been uh, brought back by the Rufati people. Uh, Bishop Van has uh, just recently visited there, and the progress is really remarkable. Yes, Bishop Van has visited the actual factory. Factory is kind of probably a fancy word for what he actually describes it as, some kind of more like garages where these craftsmen do this incredible work of reconstructing the pipes, cleaning them, rebuilding parts of it, re-leathering the organ. It's a very complicated instrument, and the report is that they're ahead of schedule, so we like that, and we really enjoy seeing the, the pictures that Bishop Van sends us back and now is showing us of that renovation of the pipe. Oregon. People come onto campus every day. It is a place that a lot of people from out of town have on their to-do list. They will go to Disneyland and they'll come here as well. It's a, a not-to-miss place. These days, I think some people are coming away a little bit disappointed because they can't get into the Crystal Cathedral, the former Crystal Cathedral, now Christ Cathedral. But they can still see what's going to happen over there if they want to go to the cultural center. Can you give us a quick take on that? Yeah, Pat, on the second floor of the of the Cathedral Cultural Center, which is a really remarkable building designed by Richard Meyer, there is a full floor uh, that is designed just to introduce people to the exhibit, uh, what the cathedral will look like when it's completed, what the technology is that's going into the community, into the church, and uh, um, and some background. So we think it's going to give someone a really wonderful bird's eye view of the project. Gentlemen, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us. We appreciate it very much, and we will be back shortly. with Father Christopher Smith, and what would a first broadcast of a Catholic radio show be without a little talk about Pope Francis? The Holy Father cannot seem to stop making headlines, as we all know. In fact, the LA Times, in its wishes for the new year on its editorial page, wished for the Holy Father to preach a boring homily now and then in order to give the press corps a break. So let's talk about the Pope's second year. Father Christopher, what do you hear day to day from your colleagues in the clergy, Catholic and otherwise, uh, about Pope Francis as he comes up to the end of his second year? Pope Francis has made an incredible impact on the church in the short time that he has been our Holy Father. He is speaking in a language that's accessible to the people. He is speaking in a language that's extremely pastoral. And this is capturing the imaginations of not only Catholics, but all people 
I think, of various faith or maybe even no faith because they, they see a man who is, is representing the Catholic Church, uh, surely, and also a man who is following in the footsteps of our Lord, who is doing what I believe Jesus did, and that's reached out to, to all people in the society. And this is the experience that uh, many people that I have spoken to or heard reference Pope Francis, this is the kind of experience that they're having, a pastoral priest, they call him many times, who is speaking to them. Well, it's almost axiomatic now when you, uh, when you look online, if there's a story about Pope Francis and you go down to the comments, inevitably there's going to be something down there that says, I'm not Catholic, but, or I'm an atheist, but, or I'm an agnostic, but. And what usually follows that is, I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. And uh, according to a Pew survey, 78% of all Americans view Pope Francis favorably. Now, politicians would kill for those numbers. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me from the point of view of how Francis is communicating himself in the message of Jesus. I am a bit surprised that so many people seem to be listening to him. And at the same time, one of the beauties and real mysteries of the office of the Holy Father is really the kind of presence that a, a pope is to the world, not just to Catholic people or even people of any faith. There's a, a tremendous symbolic value that this office brings to the world. And one of the aspects that the church has tried to maintain over the centuries, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, is not to affiliate itself politically, rather to be pure and strong in its message, no matter what the political agendas might be at a particular time. And that makes the message a message that can be accepted or at least listened to universally. Now, that is a very difficult road to travel. It is very hard, especially in our own time, to talk a message of, of peace, reconciliation, equality among peoples, economic justice, all of those kinds of things is difficult, are difficult to communicate in, in a world that is so politicized. And so to have a, a pope who is able to communicate the message in a way that's not going to polarize people, but possibly a way that will bring people together is truly remarkable. And I believe part of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which led the Cardinals to elect him in the first place. Well, it's relatively easy to see the impact that Pope Francis's papacy has had internationally. I mean, like his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, who was instrumental in the fall of communism and brokering that uh, between the superpowers. Here we have, uh, in his first two years, Pope Francis is brokering a deal between Cuba and the United States to normalize relations. It's really quite extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and again, it is another example of the uniqueness of, of the office of the Pope, because the Pope is also uh, the leader of a country, if you will. He's the leader yes. of the city-state of the Vatican. And the Bishop of Rome. And the Bishop of Rome. So he, he travels in these, these various worlds, and he is, and Popes before him have done this too. They're, in, in the best sense, using the office that they have and the secular place it has in the world in order to be instruments of peace and reconciliation. Is it possible to see the same kind of impact that he's had internationally, locally, from week to week? Here in Orange County, do you hear people talk about him? Do you see people reacting to him in particular ways? 
Yes, I do. I know many people who love to find the Pope app and to, to <laughs> listen to his homilies, to mm-hmm. his daily homilies. Priests are listening to him all the time. Did you hear what Pope Francis said today? Did you hear his homily today? Did you hear the point that he made today? Mm-hmm. He's being quoted all the time. I mean, one that, that priests are saying all over the place is when he said that the pastor should smell like the sheep. Wonderful quote. And, and Wonderful priests, idea. And it is. And we have, we've, we've taken that quote to our hearts. And there's more like those as well. Well, I know it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, but what do you think we're going to see and hear from the Holy Father in the coming year? He's only been out there two years now as the Pope, but his visit to the U.S. is definitely going to be huge. Yes, I think we will see the Pope continue to do what some say he was elected to do, and that is to continue to uh, renew the the curia, the the leadership that immediately surrounds him in Rome. He has already taken some steps to do that, and that's any institution needs to have that to happen from time to time. Even if things are running smoothly every once in a while, you have to take a look at what we're about, how we're doing things, how we can do them better. I think he's going to continue down that road. I think he is going to continue his message of reconciliation and his message of reaching out, especially to the disenfranchised Catholics and other people in the world. I believe we are going to see Pope Francis get even stronger in his efforts to do that in the next months and hopefully years ahead. The United States visit is huge. It always is when a pope comes to the United States. And so we are waiting for that with great anticipation. And I'm particularly waiting to hear the message that he specifically has to tell us here as people of the United States of America. Every country has its challenges, its problems. Every country has its strengths and its possibilities. And I'm very, very much looking forward to hearing Francis speak to us because he does that. He speaks directly to societies and to people and to what's going on in the local places. Well, he's going to be in Philadelphia next September for the World Meeting of Families. He'll be there at the end of the week, and he'll be celebrating Mass in Philadelphia. It is also rumored right now, and uh, some people in uh, the Vatican are saying that it is quite possible that he will stick around and visit New York and Washington as well. But his primary reason is to be here for the World Meeting of Families, and he has really put families front and center as one one of his favorite topics, wouldn't you agree? It is absolutely one of his uh, favorite topics and themes. And when the Pope talks about the family, I've come to realize that he's talking about certainly families, the blood families, and people related by blood to each other and in the traditional family structures. He's also speaking of the family of the church, and he wants to uh, gather the family of the church in greater unity during the years ahead. And I think that he has this beautiful way of, of interweaving themes. Speaking as the editor of Orange County Catholic, I have to say that I am always amazed at the fact that Pope Francis seems incapable of taking a bad photograph. He has, uh, there is a picture of him that we are using on the cover of Orange County Catholic for this week. I'm not going to give it away. It's just too good. You're going to have to see it yourself. But if you are a family person, you will, you will melt. I guarantee it. Father Christopher Smith, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your thoughts. We know you're going to be coming back to visit us a lot in the near future. Best of luck with the cathedral renovation and everything else that you do here for us in the Diocese of Orange. Uh, We'll be back momentarily for a final word about a very worthwhile event you'll want to put on your calendar.
One Life LA is an event that invites all people to join in declaring a commitment to valuing and protecting all human life, particularly the lives of the most vulnerable in our community. Uh, we have Kevin Cass, a representative of the Office of Life, Justice, and Peace for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, on the phone to tell us a little bit about One Life LA and how you can participate. Kevin, are you there? I'm here. All right. Well, what is One Life LA all about? It's going to be a very large participatory event, correct? It is. We're uh, we're hoping to have a good number out. One Life LA is an event, really a celebration of the dignity of all human life from conception until natural death. It's an event that Archbishop Gomez really envisioned and got going. He said that we shouldn't have to go all the way to San Francisco from Southern California to, to express our pro-life enthusiasm and to have that energy. And so... We're starting One Life LA this year, and it's going to include a march from La Placita Olvera uh, to Grand Park, and where we're going to have lots of speakers and entertainment. Fantastic. Well, this, as you say, this is the very first uh, event of its kind in Los Angeles, correct? You used to, if you wanted to uh, express your solidarity with life issues, you you really did have to go almost 500 miles north and uh, and participate in the march in San Francisco. That's right. So besides having one here in Los Angeles, we wanted to do something a bit different as well. And so our event, while keeping the defense of the unborn very central and foundational to everything that goes on, um, also includes uh, all of human life. And so this is, of course, very much about defense of the unborn and all of the vulnerable in our community who uh, can be treated as less than human. But that, you know, to be pro-life is to be defend human life from conception until natural death. So we will have speakers that speak to adoption and foster children who will share about uh, end-of-life issues, who will be able to uh, speak about human trafficking. So this is an event about the dignity of all human life and saying that uh, every human life, whether you're weak, poor, unborn, elderly, handicapped, young, old, Every human life deserves our love and our respect. Well, this is taken almost directly from uh, Cardinal Bernadine, the uh, idea of the seamless garment of life, right? We consider ourselves to be taking it very much from Pope Francis and the energy that he brings and saying this isn't a throwaway culture. We have to value all human life. And so we want to uh, move away from the throwaway culture that he references and kind of bring a, a kind of maybe a different energy than we've had in the conversation before instead of focusing on, uh, for example, all of the politics and polarizing conversation that kind of we can get caught up, you know, the rhetoric we can maybe typically get caught up and have been in for many years. We're trying to really focus on personal stories and testimonies where we can just really talk about human beings instead of issues, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And through that, I imagine you are able to attract people who are not necessarily Catholic, but who are still passionate about the subject. Absolutely. Yeah, the goal is to, uh, well, of course, being put on by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, you'll find that there are certain circumstances where we don't advertise that as much. And that's because we're trying to really emphasize that this is an interfaith event. This is an event about anyone who values human life should feel welcome and excited to come to this and should see kind of the, the continuity. If we're valuing the life of someone with Down syndrome, we should also be valuing the life of someone who is unborn. We really want to kind of spell that out for everyone. Well, so far, who have you seen in terms of participants? Have you, have you seen a very large cross-section of the community? Do you see uh, uh, mostly individuals, or, or are people uh, signing up uh, to participate as groups from parishes, for instance? 
we're getting lots of uh, registration online from parishes, uh, from youth groups. The event is sponsored by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, but also the, uh, this is sponsored by the Diocese of San Diego, of Orange, San Bernardino, and Fresno. And so we have good number from all of the dioceses that are uh, registered and getting buses or taking public transportation to arrive and to, again, stand in solidarity to express their beliefs, but also to hear these personal stories and to, to partake in a, a celebration of human life, to celebrate just the joy that, that there is in every single life. Well, there always is that sort of atmosphere when you get a whole bunch of people together on a nice day in Southern California and uh, you get them out for a little activity. How many people do you think are going to be showing up for this? We're aiming for, we're expecting between, uh, I would say, between six and 8,000 this first year. Okay. Um, and that's a number we want to continue to build every year. We want to see this event grow and be, be definitely meant to be an annual event. We're excited uh, to have speakers from all over the country. We have Carl Anderson, the Supreme Knight, Knights of Columbus, will be there to introduce a speaker. We'll have David B. Wright, the founder of 40 Days for Life. Sylvia Amarito will be our MC, who is a well-known DJ and voice actor. Ryan Bomberger is our keynote speaker, who's the founder of the Radiance Foundation. And we, of course, have uh, Josh Geralt, who is going to be leading in a concert towards the end, who's a great, beautiful musician. And so we're very excited about our lineup. Um, and, our, and our speakers, besides kind of our, the names that we talk about, and you'll see on our website, we have lots of people coming to share personal testimonies, like I've mentioned. But another element of this event that you may not see at other places is that we, we really, when we sat down to kind of conceive the event, we wanted to focus on it not being a one-day event. We didn't want people to come and feel if they, you know, participated in their one pro-life event of the year or done their work for the year. Yes. We wanted to be really the, the impetus, the beginning of everyone's pro-life work for the year. And so every organization that will have a booth there, every nonprofit that uh, we've invited, we call a community partner. And they will not be there to fundraise or to just hand out literature that you know educates on uh, different issues. They're all there with an actual service project to get people involved. So we have organizations that focus on uh, being there for women who are in crisis pregnancy, on praying for women, and for the unborn, but we also have organizations devoted to foster children, organizations that are devoted to ending human trafficking, to helping the homeless, to helping children whose parents are in prison go and visit them, helping them, you know, get them transported there. So we've got really a bunch of organizations that do a great job of expressing the whole breadth of what it means to be pro-life. And that's a big part of this event, is letting uh, our society, letting everyone know what being pro-life really means. As you know, there's a big divide between what being pro-life actually is and what our society thinks it is. That's right. Let me talk logistics uh, with you for a minute. Uh, you say the uh, walk is going to be starting at the plaza at the end of Olvera Street, correct? And That's right. 10 a.m. in the plaza on near Olvera Street there, and then they'll be marching probably by 1030. We'll begin with Archbishop Gomez speaking and a couple of other speakers. Begin by marching down Los Angeles Street, up Temple, across Grand. It's a total of about uh, 1.2, 1.3 miles. Oh, okay. March, and then we'll end at Grand Park and a 
Grand Park, everyone will be greeted with food trucks, food vendors, and all of the organizations that are community partners. That's where we'll have many of the speakers I've talked about and testimonies, and we'll close out with a concert before ending at 2.40. The beginning of the walk at the plaza at the end of Olvera Street is directly across the street from Union Station in Los Angeles. So there are many, many ways to get to this event. You don't necessarily have to take your car. You can make a day of it, uh, an excursion of it. Uh, Kevin Cass, thank you so much for taking time out to tell us about the event. It is One Life LA. It is this Saturday. Uh, everybody, lace up your walking shoes, and we will see you there. Thank and you very much. Thank you. And that is it for the inaugural broadcast of Orange County Catholic Radio. Many thanks to all your guests today. Please join us again next week for an hour of good talk and good news. I'm Patrick Mott, and you've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio on AM 1000.